I wonder if you could turn to Matthew 27. We're going to go through quite a bit of scripture today. A lot of it I'll just quote. Um, But if you could turn to Matthew 27, and uh, before you get there, uh, many thousands of years ago, there was a man who lived by the name of Job. And he asked a question in Job 14, verse 14. If mortal man dies, can he live again? If mortal man dies, can he live again? That's a great question. And Jesus came along thousands of years later, and he said this in John 14, verse 19 to 20. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. Before I carry on reading that scripture, we have to understand that we celebrate something today, obviously the resurrection of Christ and He has risen, but in every facet and in every way, Jesus was our prototype. He was our prototype in death, and He was our prototype in life. But He says here, because I live, you will live also. And at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He said in John 11 to Martha, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And he's saying, if you die before I come back, your body will be put off, but you will be resurrected. Christ went into the grave and he came out of the grave, but it says that he was the first fruits. So we will inherit a body like his. And he's saying, so if you die, you will live again. But whoever lives and believes in me, shall never die. So in other words, he's saying, if you live until I come back, those who are alive, when I come back, they will never experience death. He said, I'll read it again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he said to Martha, do you believe this? And I ask you that same question. Do you believe this? Why is it important? In Romans 10 verse 9, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. No, it doesn't say it like that. It says it like this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, that He's Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. Salvation itself swings on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to speak to you about Christ, our life, the source of life, Christ, our life. John 5, 24 says that if we believe in Him whom the Father has sent, we have passed from death to life. So I want to speak about Christ, our life. But let's start in the beginning at the cross, Matthew 27, verse 45, says this, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard said, this man is calling for Elijah. Because they didn't speak Aramaic and Eli they thought was Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split 
and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves, very important little phrase, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. So I want to do this. I did this, I think, last year. I want to put us on the ground there as if we were there and try very briefly in a couple minutes, try to explain what was it like for those who were there, even for bystanders who didn't believe and who didn't understand or know of Christ, who didn't follow him for like the Roman soldiers. What was it like for them? Well, clearly it impacted them, all the things that were happening around them. I actually saw a, a funny meme uh, on social media the other day, and it was just two bystanders, two people just standing there, kind of seeing Jesus come out of the tomb, you know, and it was clear that, you know, no one knew that there were these two people watching. And the one guy looks at the other guy and he goes, well, this changes everything. And uh, it's absolutely true. It does change everything. But if you put yourself on the ground on that day, firstly, imagine it says from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness. So there's three hours of darkness. Now, this is not due to some eclipse. Some people have said that. NASA went back and proved that there was no eclipse there at that time of the year, at that time on the earth even. It was, there was one in Antarctica at a similar time. But Passover, because they were celebrating Passover, happens at full moon. And <laughs> so it, it wasn't the case. An eclipse takes place at new moon. This was supernatural occurrence from the 6th hour to the ninth hour. That's not 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. or 6 p.m. to 9, uh, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. It's the 6th hour of the Jewish day. It's from noon until 3 p.m. So in the middle of the day, the middle of the day, there was three hours of darkness. It's a supernatural event. Now, <clears throat> In the Old Testament, just quickly, it's important to understand, in Exodus 10 to 12, you can go read it, at the Passover, at the first Passover, they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the lintels of the doorposts and the angel of death passed over. But before that, it said there were three days of darkness that could be felt. And those three days of darkness preceded the death of either the firstborn son, if there was no blood, or the death of a spotless lamb. Thousands of years later, it's a prophetic, it's pointing to something. Thousands of years later, there's now darkness again for three hours. And it precedes the death of the firstborn son and the death of the lamb, the real lamb who was to be slain. So what's happening is heaven testified to the fulfillment of Christ as the lamb of God. Heaven itself testified. It, shut, it, shut, it took away its light for three hours to testify to the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Then it says the curtain was torn. And I know if you come to Free Life, you've heard me speak about this before. But that curtain was, they say in, in rabbinical literature, was 60 feet high. And I'm standing in a room right now with a 25-foot ceiling. So it's more than twice the height that I'm looking at. Your ceiling is probably only about 8 or 9 foot. But 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, over 4 inches thick. And it said that they, couldn't, they could tie horses to other side and the beasts couldn't pull it apart. So when it says that the curtain was torn from top to bottom, firstly, the sound must have been deafening, 
but it's another supernatural event. And it was the curtain before the veil that kept people out of the presence of God because of sin. And so what happens is that is the testimony of the Father. He literally came and ripped what beast and man couldn't do. He ripped open the, the, the veil and tore open something that we cannot, impossible for man to do. They actually say it took about 300 priests to manipulate it, I think to clean it or I can't quite remember the study that I did. But the father testified that the payment was complete and man's redemption purchased and thereby we have access to God the Father because of the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood was found to be spotless. His blood was found to be innocent. The Bible actually in the book of Hebrews says that the blood of Jesus Christ speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now it's an interesting statement because the blood of Abel says, God said to Cain when he killed his brother, the blood of Abel cries out to me from the ground. Why? Because his blood was innocent. But yet Abel was born with inherent sin. Bible says we are all born dead in our trespasses. So it was innocent blood. The Bible says the earth opened up the ground and swallowed up Abel's blood. Innocent blood was spilt. But it cried out for revenge. That's what the word is in the, in the Hebrew. Because he was innocent. Yet the blood of Jesus Christ was innocent, but it was without sin. And it cries redemption. The blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. And the father testified to that by ripping open the separation of the curtain. And even then, it's, I've said it before, we were not only redeemed, we were reconciled. That's what's happening in the unseen realm. In the natural, the curtain's torn. In the unseen realm, God is reconciling man and God together. Meaning, he doesn't just love us, he likes us. He really does. He likes his creation because we have access back to him. And then there were earthquakes. The Bible says there was an earthquake, and that's what the soldiers looked and saw the earthquake. There was something in the earthquake that made a hardened Roman soldier, and they were hardened men. I won't get into some of the things that they used to do that I've studied. They were rough soldiers, but there was something in the earthquake that caused them to say, this man is the Son of God. The earthquake, there were three earthquakes that I want to quickly run through with you. The first started at the outset of the covenant that God had with Moses on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. When God put his righteous law, his moral code, into the earth, written down through Moses, it says that the covenant was cut and that the mountain shook. The earth shook when God's righteous demand was put into the earth. And the covenant began. Then Jesus comes. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus comes. He was found to be pure and spotless. And when he dies, the earth shakes again. What's happening? It's the law testifying, fulfilled. That covenant is fulfilled. The earth shook at the outset, and the earth shook again when the law of God was fulfilled through the life of Jesus Christ. But then... If you quickly turn the page, Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and, the other, and other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. That's earthquake number three. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothes as white 
as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him, and he be, they became like dead men. Then they were paid to lie, and so they were sleeping. But imagine that. They come, and they see this angel, and the earth shook. Why? Because the earth shook again at it, one at the outset of the covenant of God with, with, with the law, with Moses, Second at the fulfillment, now there's a new covenant. And when the grave was opened, when the grave was defeated, the earth shook again. And it started a new covenant. There were earthquakes. The fulfillment of God's righteous law and the testimony of creation in their agreement with heaven. Then it says this, the rocks were split. Now, I know this is a strange text to, to, to preach on, but that's what I want to preach on. It says the rocks were split, and I know it says that because there was an earthquake, but I believe the Bible doesn't waste words. And every Easter I read through the story and all the various parts of the Bible, and that jumped out of me. And I want to speak to us this morning about Christ, our life. Christ, our life. So, I want to speak about the life of Jesus in His death and the life of Jesus in his resurrection, but it was important for us to understand what was happening on the ground, because we need to remember, imagine you were standing there, there's darkness for three hours, then there's an earthquake, why is there an earthquake? Then there's wailing, then there's all sorts of things happen, then you hear this terrible sound as the curtain is torn, the priest would have been standing in there, because it was Passover time, maybe killing the lamb, we don't know, the priest was there, then you're just getting used to that. Then people come back from the, light, from the dead, and they're walking around town. Then there's another earthquake. So things, <laughs> the earth, things were taking place when Jesus was resurrected and when Jesus died. But it said the rocks were split. Now, I want to talk to us a little bit this morning about the life of Jesus at his death. 1 Corinthians 10, if you could turn there. I do encourage you to get a, a real Bible. It helps to follow on when you're listening online, because sometimes we read fast. We don't realize it as preachers get excited. But 1 Corinthians. It's trapped within Christ. And that life, friends, is not any normal life. It's not mortal life. It's the life of God the Father. That's why it says, it talks about creation. It's the very life that created the heavens and the stars and through the expanse of the cosmos. It's the life of God. And it was in Christ. It was in Christ. In Christ is the brimming life of God. It's that which can bring something back from the dead that can heal a body. It's a source of life. And in John 10, Jesus spoke about it. He said, I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it to the full. What about John 3.16? Famous verse. Everyone knows John 3.16. They see it painted on people's faces even in football games. But many, many don't fully understand it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, 
or eternal life, depends on your translation. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die in the natural and put off the body and go to be with the Lord. Eternal life doesn't begin because, you know, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to die because of Christ. Eternal life starts now. Eternal life starts now. It's the life of God that can be released. Jesus even said this would happen. John 12, verse 23 to 26, Jesus speaking about his own crucifixion says, the hour has come that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, should be glorified. And he's speaking about being crucified and then being raised and being glorified with the Father. But most assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus' description of being crucified. Try to think about this. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, speaking about himself, falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. If I have a seed in my hand, I can hold that seed forever. It's great. But all the potential that's in it is not released until it is put into the ground and it's split open and the life that is inside starts to grow and then you have many seeds. So, at the crucifixion of Christ, when it says the rocks were split, God just began to speak to me about that. Because at the crucifixion of Christ, it's as if I mean, it's not as if he is our rock, but it's as if he was the rock that his own creation, the very people he made, was struck him, like Moses struck the rock. 1 Corinthians 10 says that rock was a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. And water, life, in the, in, in the, in the desert, water is life. Without water, you die. And life flowed out. At the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his own creation struck him. And what came out of him was life that was in him. In him was life. And that life was released in his death. I, I, I don't think we can quite understand it. I believe it's what caused all that stuff to happen. Because it's like a spiritual atom bomb. The very life of God, he is struck and the rock split. Christ was, everything in him was uh, released. And the heaven shook. And the curtain was torn, and the earth shook, and the curse was removed, <laughs> because the life that was in Christ was released in his death. He went into the ground, and oh, the life flowed out of him, and that life was released. The blood was provided for us to be redeemed and reconciled and made new. Yet with all of that, friends, with all of that, the life of God being released into the earth, and the heavens, and the Father, and the curtain. It says this, that of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ has not been raised from the dead or resurrected, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. That's an amazing scripture. Let's go read it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 to 22. But if it is preached, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 to 22, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, friends, firstly, there's a difference between the resurrection of the dead and being raised to life like Lazarus. Lazarus will die again. Christ will never die. Okay? More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him. 
if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Very simple. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ are lost, those who died believing in Jesus. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, that's what I said earlier. He's the first fruits. What happened to him will happen to us. He's our prototype. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, meaning we are all born on the earth in the natural. The Bible says we are born dead in trespasses and sins because we died in Adam. As in Adam all die because we all followed that pattern. So in Christ all will be made alive. So resurrection needed to come. The death of Christ released life. The rocks were split. He was the rock of ages split, and the life of God was released out of him. And yet the Bible says, but resurrection needed to come. So let's speak to you about the life of Jesus in his resurrection. We cannot have rebirth, friends. We cannot be born again without the resurrection. We cannot. Why? With everything that was released in the, in the death of Christ, the Bible says it was the death of Christ that redeemed us. It was the death of Christ that reconciled us. It was the death of Christ that released the life of God. It was the death of Christ that shook the heavens and started all of that. But without the resurrection, we cannot actually be reborn. Why? Because it doesn't help to have hope for, life, hope for Christ in this life and to have hope and be filled with him. And No, but then when we die, we held in the grave. Because what is, the, what is the penalty of sin? The Bible says the wages of sin, that's not sinning, that's inherent sin that we're born with. The wages of sin is death. And so if death is not dealt with, we have no hope. But the good news is that Jesus did rise again. He did. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. It's a strange verse. A lot of people don't Maybe know that that says that. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. So we cannot stay as we are. And that's one of the great sins against God is man's mind that says, I don't need God. I'm good by myself. I can fix the problem with humanity. I can do this. No. <laughs> Flesh and blood in other words, born on the earth just as we are, no matter how good we are, no matter how much good things we do, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God because something has to change to be able to make us inherit. We have to be born again. We have to be born afresh and born anew. But we cannot do that unless without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the good news is that he did rise and we can be made new. We can become inheritors of eternal life. There's a song that says, I think I said it earlier, if he walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. Because the grave cannot hold me. Friends, Jesus doesn't fix. We have to understand this. He makes new. He doesn't just fix. He makes you brand new. That's why it's important for believers today to understand what it means in baptism. I identify with his death in baptism, but then identify with his resurrection when I come out of the water. 
If he didn't rise, they must just hold us under the water and we die, right? But then we would be held by death. It would be tragic. Jesus did rise. So we have to understand that the life of Jesus, the life of God that was inside Jesus, it was released in his death, was released into the earth. But his resurrection made it possible for him to put that life inside of you. And that changes everything. That's why John 5 says we have passed from death to life. From death to life. Meaning what? It starts immediately. We have passed from death. We were born dead. We were born in our sin, in our trespasses. We have passed from death to life. But the resurrection is what makes it possible for that which Christ's death released from him, like a rock who was split, the resurrection makes it possible for him to put that life, take that life and put it inside of you. But you have to believe it. You do have to believe it. You know, in the Passover, the first Passover in the book of Exodus, they could have killed that spotless lamb. And they would have had the blood there in the basin. I've said this before. And the blood was all in the basin. But if they didn't take that blood and put it on the lintel on the doorposts, the angel of death would have killed that firstborn. So we have two issues here. Either for people not, not to be saved, Christ was inspected as the Passover lamb, as the lamb that was to be slain before the foundation of the world. Either he was inspected and his blood was not found to be innocent. His blood was not found to be sinless. He was not found to be a perfect lamb, but he was. Or, and he provided all that, all that we need for life and godliness. He provided the very life of heaven, the life of his father, the life of creation, the life of the spirit. He provided it all. In fact, in the spiritual realm, it says in Romans 8, verse 2, verse 1 and 2, that this life that was released in Christ's death has rewritten the law in the, natural, in the spiritual realm. Do you know that? The Bible says the law of the spirit of life. That's not the law of the Old Testament. It's saying that what Jesus did has now superseded every other law that ever was. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. It superseded everything that came before. So he was found to be sufficient. But some people, because he is the rock of offense too, they leave the blood in the basin. He made everything available. But unless we believe we have everything there, but we don't apply it. And that life doesn't enter us. Life doesn't enter us. It doesn't change us. It doesn't make us new. Therefore, we cannot inherit eternal life. We cannot inherit the kingdom. We cannot be born again because everything is there that we need. But we need to believe it in our heart. What? That, Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead because he did. Now, very quickly, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus was very central to the early church. Obviously, partly they had seen this happen. It was very central to the early church. But the disciples did not believe it in the beginning. I'm going to run this through with you very quickly. 
Mary Magdalene, we read it earlier, she goes to the tomb, she sees the angel. The angel says this to her, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. I love that verse. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. And it says, and she remembered his words. Well, they, they remembered all the women that went there with the spices. And they remembered his words. They saw this angel. They had this encounter. So they run back and go tell the disciples. But when they tell the disciples, Mary Magdalene didn't say all of that. She ended up saying that. But she said this. She was afraid. And she said, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they've laid him. So she didn't actually believe it. She said, he's still dead, but I don't know. They've stolen his body. Then they tell them the whole story with the angel. And it says the disciples' response was, the words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. <laughs> Interesting. So Christ had died, and then life had come into the earth, but it didn't impact them. So Peter gets up, I love Peter, and runs to the tomb. The book of John says, John went with him. I love that John wrote that. And actually, John points out, I got there first. John went with him, but Peter goes inside. He said he saw the linens, the folded handkerchiefs, and he says he marveled. But then they went home. Mary goes with them back to the tomb and stays there. And she encounters the risen Christ. She goes back, tells the disciples, no, he really is alive. It says they still did not believe her. They didn't believe her. Yet in Acts chapter 4, it says this. Verse 1 to 4, speaking of those same two men, Peter and John, it says, As they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly being, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. What happened to these men who wouldn't believe? They saw all the miracles Jesus did. Jesus told them, this is going to happen. They wouldn't believe it. Life hadn't entered them. <laughs> Until they believed, they weren't made new. Life needed to enter them and change them and make them new and make them fresh. They were born again. Now you see those same two men standing, preaching, saying, you can arrest us if you want. You can kill us if you want. Because we've just preached, and the Bible says that that same life was in the Messiah is now in us. So when I preach, that life flows out of me like it flowed out of him, and that life can flow out of you. And all the seed now has gone. Now 5,000 believe, and they're going to do the same, and the people that believe, they're going to do the same. They said, we're, we're unstoppable. You can't stop the life of God. So you can throw us in jail. You can kill us if you want. I'll read you a quick quote. The early church had more than doctrine and hope. They had a present tense relationship that allowed them to endure with joy terrible atrocities. They are, there are historical accounts of Romans when witnessing the joy of Christians who were being martyred in the, in, on the sand in the circus. They were jumping out of the stands and rushing to them. They knew that they would now be doomed to the same fate, but they willingly accepted death so they could know God in the same close, intimate, and personal way as these Christians who were being martyred. What happened? 
life came into them. Life not of this earth. The life that created heavens and the earth. Jesus said, I have come to give life. I needed to die so that the potential, the life of God could be split open and the life could come into the earth. But I needed to be resurrected. My life needed to be sinless so that that life could be put inside of you. This life of God is what the Bible means when it says eternal life. The Bible says that this life is your connection with the Father. John 17, eternal life is to know God. The Bible says this life is our hope, meaning no more emptiness, no more hopelessness, but purpose. The Bible says this life is still, is still the light of men. You know, when Jesus stood up and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You know what was happening? The high priest they would, at the Feast of Tabernacles, and the priest took a golden pitcher, and he would take water from the pool of Siloam and pour it over the altar in memorial to the rock that was struck in the desert. They were doing that as a memorial. Jesus sees them doing that and says, hey, I'm the rock. So he stands up and shouts out while they're pouring it probably, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And rivers of living water will flow like from them, from life will flow out of their belly. Because that life is still the light of men, but God's put it in you. That life is our freedom from the fear of death. In fact, we can enter death with confidence, without fear. That's why the Bible says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? That life is our freedom from shame and guilt because we have an advocate in heaven with the Father who has made the payment complete. When we make mistakes and do stupid stuff, which we all do, the, the Son says, Free, they're free, they're free. Now, if I could take two more minutes to just, how does this truth carry into a human heart? Well, by the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we can debate and debate and debate, but it comes by the power of the Spirit. When Peter was stood up and preached the next chapter two, it says, the Spirit of God pierced their hearts, pricked their hearts. It, it, the actual word there means that, that they were pierced further into their heart than Jesus was into his side. And it pierced them, and they cried out, what shall we do? And it's a great question. What are we to do with Jesus Christ? It's a question, if you're unsaved, it comes at you all year round. It comes at you continually. What are we going to do with this man that God raised from the dead and lives today? I'm going to read you this, and then we all have communion. It is not just a matter, this is a quote, it's not just a matter of finding proof and evidence, but rather a matter of the conscience of man, for his conscience searches from the moment of birth. The question of sincerity is not how do Jesus' teachings compare with the teachings of Muhammad or Buddha or some philosopher, because it is rather centered on his person, not on his teachings. Because if we cannot settle that Jesus is who he says he is, which is a matter of the human heart, then debate will never end. Because truth does not rest alone on reasoning, but on conscience. If the resurrection of Christ would rest upon reason, 
It would not be able to be believed by the simple man who has not been trained to reason. But it would only be available to lawyers, to the educated, to the excellent of mind and of speech. But what about the simple man who does not have education? What about the simple man who does not have training? What about the man who cannot work it out? What about the poor man with no riches, with no life to speak of? Is the gospel not for him too? The gospel is for all, not because people can weigh evidence, but because their conscience has been pierced and they cannot always explain it to others with words. Jesus Christ is alive. And if He is alive, then you have to do something about it. If He is alive, then He is on my conscience until I do something about it. If He is alive, then the proof is that the Holy Spirit carries that reality into my heart until my conscience becomes impaled on this one question. What am I to do with Jesus Christ? Well, it's good news for those of us who are saved. Friends, we have the life of God in us. Jesus' death released life. His resurrection put that life inside of you. Now, with communion, we'd love to take communion with you. Interestingly enough, when Jesus walked on the road with Emmaus, the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, it says he opened the scriptures to them after he rose from the dead, but their eyes couldn't see him. They were restrained from seeing him. Then it says he broke bread, and it says in communion they knew him. It even says later they testified how we knew him when he broke bread with us. The Bible says in John 6.63 that the words, and he's actually speaking about the words that he was just saying about communion, they are life to you. When we take the blood and the body of Christ, it's one of the multiple ways that God has given us to allow the life of God to come into us. Because the Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I find there's nothing obviously we can do for salvation. The first, the life of God that comes into us is free. It's by grace. It's not on our merit. It's on the life of Jesus. But we can lose connection with that life. And so the life we receive in grace by faith in Jesus Christ, we stay connected to by truth. <laughs> That's why Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And that life is for this age. The Bible says that in Galatians 1.4. It's for this age. It's for right now. So that the life of God can come out of us. So if you are saying, Lord, obviously we're going to do communion, but it is an, as a way for the life of God to come into your heart again, if you're feeling dry, it is also a wonderful way to just worship the Father and worship our, Jesus, worship our Lord, saying, God, thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll do it together. Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. So let's do that together. Let's take and eat.
Jesus, I thank you that your body was broken, that you went into the earth and released your life. I thank you that you rose physically from the dead and that your body is the first fruits of all of us, Lord, that we have eternal life both now and forever. And so we remember that you are the bread of heaven. And we bless you, Lord. We thank you for your body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the many for the remission of sins. Let's drink together. <clears throat> Maybe just say a prayer in your heart. Jesus, we thank you for your life. Even as we take of these things, Lord, your blood and your body, as they go into us, let your life come, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the fact that you are alive, that you are not dead but alive. And because of that, we live. Because you live, we also will live. Job asked many years ago, Lord Jesus, if mortal man dies, can he live again? And you said, yes, because I will come and I will give my body to be broken. I will give my blood as remission for sins so that all of my children can have my life because if I live, they will live. Lord, we thank you for the joy of our salvation. We celebrate you this day as we do every day, but we've chosen this day to say thank you for the cross, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your payment. And may your people receive life in their homes and life in their hearts. By the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Thank you for your presence right now, right now, in the homes, on the couch, what if you would, just for a moment, if you're watching, just put your hands in front of you. Just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. I pray your presence would rest in the homes of your people. And I pray for those who are watching this, Lord, and who do not believe in Jesus, that their hearts are pierced right now and they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.